Where are the low value men? Like, what are what are all the low value men up to during these trying times? Because the high value men, they, I know they're around. They won't shut the fuck up. Low value men, I have not heard a word out of. I'm starting to think I'm on their side. I think I want one of those. I want a low value man. They don't make podcasts. I haven't seen one low value man make a podcast. Do they not know how to use microphones? Maybe that's a good thing. That's that's hot. All right, I haven't seen, I've never seen a man use a microphone for good. Until now, everybody buckle up. It's low value mail time with your host, Danny Polishchuk. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to an all new episode of low value mail. With your host, myself, Danny Paulschuk, on this Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. We have a great episode in store for you tonight with our guest, uh, Johnny Vedmore, all the way coming from Wales uh, for us tonight. So I'm, I'm very, very happy and very excited for him to be here. And we're going to be joined by him shortly. Um, before we get started, though, Johnny is an investigative journalist. Uh, I'm going to get into his bio a little bit. Uh, a little bit more, but uh, he's an investigative journalist. He's covered the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting stuff. I mean, we all know about this, but I don't think we know the extent of any of this stuff. So he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be breaking it down for us. Before we get started, please, as always, just like, subscribe, um, you know, leave a rating, review, whatever. It, it always helps. As always, we have an after show, 11 p.m. If you want to get access to that, you can sign up Patreon, locals. Uh, YouTube become a scroat. There's a free trial on Patreon right now. And then also, I'm just announcing this now. So once we hit 500 subscribers to the show, uh, once we hit 500 or patrons or whatever, I'm going to add an extra half an hour to the show. So the show will start 30 minutes earlier. We will have an extra 30 minutes of low value mail. So it's very, uh, very, very exciting stuff. Tomorrow night, we're back with The Bathhouse, 10.30 p.m., live from the Stand Comedy Club Green Room in New York City. Uh, we got some great guests lined up. And then this Saturday, if you're in Morris Plains, New Jersey, uh, come check me out. I'm going to be headlining at um, the Dojo of Comedy East. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun time for all for the, not all of you, but for the, well, yeah, for all of you who came out and saw me, uh, I was in Saratoga Springs this past weekend, uh, last minute headlining at the Comedy Works there. It was a fun time uh, for those of you who joined me. Said, what's up? Very cool stuff. It was nice to meet you all. And, uh, oh, sorry, someone's calling me. Phone lines are not open. People cannot be calling when the phone lines are not open. Um, and if you want to find out where I'm performing stand-up in wherever you're at, uh, go go sign up for my mailing list. I, there's a link below. You can do that. And then um, I'm not going to spam you or nothing. Or maybe I will. You know what? Maybe I will. No, I won't. I won't. I, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, and someone they're in the chat asking about female dating strategy. I couldn't do it yesterday. I was doing some other stuff. We'll be back. We'll be back. Don't worry. It ain't going anywhere, people. It ain't going anywhere. All right. So to our guest, Johnny Vedmore. Uh, he's a Welsh investigative journalist and content creator for Newspace and UnlimitedHangout.com. 
he focuses on the hidden histories of the most wealthy and powerful elites. Among many other various big discoveries, he's uh, Johnny's proved that Klaus Schwab's father was an important part of the Nazis' atomic bomb effort. That Klaus Schwab himself was trained by Henry, Henry Kissinger via a CIA-funded course at Harvard. That Theresa May's father worked closely with a famous serial killer. That Bill Gates is a direct ancestor of a knight of King Henry VIII's realm, which I definitely want to know about that, as well as revealing Epstein's close connections with the infamous German tech entrepreneur Nicole Junkerman and their secret meeting in 20, 2002 with two U.S. senators as Lex Wexner's Foxcoat House in the UK during the run-up to the Iraq war boy was that a mouthful um okay so we're gonna we're gonna bring our guests on very shortly he's joining i gotta gotta do my little my little dicky dicky do here with all my so please uh talk amongst yourselves everybody while i hold on one second i apologize for this i don't have a producer you all know that johnny doesn't know this but i certainly know this um Please stop calling me. Someone's calling me. The phone lines are just not open. They're not open. Oh, there we go. And let me just... Oh, I hate this so much sometimes. Sorry, Johnny. One second. Let me unmute. Unmute. There we go. Johnny, can you hear me, sir? No. There we go. Hello, Johnny Vedmore. Welcome to the show. Apologies. Apologize for that. I was making a little bit of a meal out of it as I normally do, um, but but thank you for, thank you for joining me today on uh, Low Value Mail. I've so I've been I found out about you. Uh, uh, I want to say a few months ago, I, I came across your your article on Unlimited Hangout the uh, about World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab, and uh, you go pretty deep. You go. I mean, I want to say that he is one of the more I don't want to say misunderstood people. I don't know if that's necessarily the right, but he's, you know, there's a shroud of mystery around this guy. Some people know him specifically as the bug guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just Mm -hmm. the guy who makes you eat bugs and that's all they know him for. But I think you, if if I'm correct, that's a very small part of this. There's so much more to this. So I don't even know where to start. So if you want to maybe give me, how did you get into investigating uh, Klaus Schwab. Wow. Well, that was a that was a bit of a journey in itself, I tell <laughs> you. Uh, a whole lifetime journey where eventually uh, I was in a situation where I was an investigative journalist and I didn't understand how I got there. I was a, a night manager for years in hotels and stuff. And uh, I, I, I just I, I expected to live a fairly normal existence. And then in about 2016, I started looking into the rich and powerful and realized already I had loads of skills and loads of abilities. And I had already snooped around for years and years and years. And I, I, I discovered slowly and most investigative journalists do this discover slowly they know things that other people don't know and it's not written down anywhere and so suddenly you've got to journal it and you're forced into it and then i discovered that all right i like this a little bit and it led to me uh being around uh december uh 2020 um watching we're watching like this whole world economic forum power push happen in front of us and we're, we're asking how can we best impact on this story and we looked around and it was obvious that klaus schwab was the person who nobody knew 
much about past a certain point it was like there was this guy born klaus schwab and then he suddenly created the world economic forum in 1971 boo it just uh, like appeared on the scene and and, right. and everything so so quick it made no sense yeah because i was Go gonna on. say like the davos thing forever that was just like uh as far as i remember it was just like elites going skiing and you know yeah 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 that's like kind of how they talked about it that's how they wanted to talk about it because you don't want to dig away anything in Switzerland if you poke away at it too much it starts to look a little bit nefarious and so yeah. so you know the the, the the all of the elites like to go there because they're well guarded it's kind of got like elements not as extreme but elements of Monte Carlo where you're not allowed you know to take photos and you you have supposed freedom but there's a there's an underlying understanding between everybody that they're in a lot of money because the elites are banking in their their, their place are going to their dining in their facilities are, are bringing up and, and and switzerland has always been a place in europe which has been a bit of an anomaly and that's really where the story kind of starts with klaus schwab um because if you go back to uh the 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 start where i could find go back the furthest um i like family histories i like going through genetics and so i get like really deep into people's history and it was really hard because i couldn't find who his father was it wasn't written down you know normally these things are written down on wikipedia so and so so and so mother and father so and so so and so and and you can kind of just let roll on you know the best way to diffuse information if you're an elite or an establishment would be just to give it out so that people get over it and walk on to the next piece of information that they're going to get angry about you know because people do do that we we get used to no knowledge and before long it's like oh well isn't that a surprise klaus schwab's father's this guy and um and so I, I had to go about this two ways, because first of all, it took me uh, about four or five weeks to uh, definitively uh, prove who Klaus Schwab's father and mother were. Um, through, and like, where did you start with sources. that? Um, I had to I, I had to learn about every time you investigate uh, a really, really uh, like censored subject, you have to find databases that they haven't managed to censor yet. Yeah. And so in in uh, in this way, there was um, a brilliant German database. It's like the Landschrecht Archive, um, which I found had some really interesting like notes on there, including a note about uh, uh, Eugen Schwab talking with Americans and doing an anti-Nazi, going through an anti-Nazi training camp which uh anti-nazification training camp which sure. made me go who's this you wouldn't it be great if eugene schwab was was somehow related to klaus schwab but it wasn't that easy because i found so many i dragnet information so uh, one of the things i used was a swiss newspaper archive uh that and went back into the 20 and 1920s because i had to go I, I i couldn't trace it backwards so i had to trace it forward so basically i discovered who was called schwab all around germany that must be a common name no yeah, yeah, because it's um Uber Schwabia. So so Schwab is from people from Schwabia, which is where where um uh, Klaus Schwab's family is from uh, as well. Now a lot of people would change their name to Schwab as well, uh, like Jewish immigrants especially, because they like oh, better keep a low profile because in the area up until uh, the eighteen hundreds, uh, Jews were banned. Specifically, Jews were banned from this entire area that that is like part of uh Uber Schwabia. 
Okay. Uh, they that that was after fourteen hundred like uh, blood libels where basically they accused uh, a load of Jewish people who lived there of uh, sacrificing babies in some sort of blood rites, and they basically the people of all of the areas around there and our other places um, all, all got their Jews and and killed them basically, right. uh, and 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 it was uh, of course that after that kept happening, they're like outbursts of this sort of anti-Semitic rage in the area kept happening uh they just banned jews from being in there so uh, there's a likelihood because uh klaus schwab's grandfather eventually i had to trace all as many schwabs as i could so how, and, how far uh, back did you get on his um, bloodline well well i really i want I, I, for him uh, about 1870 uh, I got about to 1874, um, wow. Jakob Wilhelm Gottfried Schwab, and he went by the name Gottfried Schwab, which is a much more, Gottfried is much more German than Jakob, which it's uh, hints of uh, like that you might be Jewish. And it'd only been 30, 40 years after he w was born that Jews were allowed back into the area. So it was still pretty anti-Semitism anti was rife in the area. And they were a bit like, you know, a lot of people were, were there was only by the thirties when the Jews were being kicked out, there were only really like a, a, a handful of really big families living in Ravensburg, the area where the actual city where uh, Klaus Schwab's from. And, and, and so, yeah. Where he was born, well, yes, yeah, he was born in Ravensburg in uh, 1938, a year before World War II, to Eugen Schwab, because uh, Jakob Wilhelm Gottfried Schwab, uh, he had he had met a, a Swiss girl, uh, moved from where he lived in Germany to Switzerland, uh, got got uh, married and had a baby, and then moved back to Germany. Now, when he moved to Switzerland, he had to renounce his German citizenship, and he was never he never gained Swiss citizenship. So when he went back to Germany, he had to re have his German citizenship, and that means Klaus Schwab is still not allowed to be Swiss, um, which is something that he he tried to obtain Swiss citizenship. Really? Um, uh, a, a few, yeah, about 10, 15 years ago, he applied for Swiss citizenship, um, and he was denied because of... Of the previous case uh, which was another reason why to look in these sort of archives you know there's there was something in their family history you know and this is because he had to renounce Swiss citizenship at, uh, completely for his family so that they could be allowed to be moved back to Germany in 1899 a year after Eugen Schwab was born who's Klaus Schwab's father Eugen Sch Wilhelm Schwab um, and they lived in uh, I, I suppose they lived near Ravensburg, I believe. Um, but eventually, by the time um, uh, Klaus Schwab's father's grown up, he's uh, he first marries um, this very interesting uh, Jewish lady um, who uh, it has like three uh, husbands and is is like really ag against what you'd expect as a stereotype of women at the time, especially yeah. in that area. Like um, she. Yeah, yeah, she she was she's she just like a uh, she had she yeah she was and they they had a, a baby I'm not sure if they had two but they definitely had hands um I think his name's hands uh he they eventually moved to Brazil um that that was after they fled from uh, persecution in World War Two in 1938 um Eugen Schwab's first wife gets out of the country and declares herself a Hebrew when she arrives in America so she's obviously you know saying Germany no more for her and she ends up living in um 
Brazil. And the reason I know this is because one of the bits of evidence that was a definitive proof was finding uh, immigration forms um, and photos uh, for them, the family, uh, Eugen Schwab um, uh, and um, Erika Schwab, who's Klaus Schwab's mother, um, going over to Brazil to visit the other side of the family. Oh, they actually traveled now, to Brazil. And they have yeah, yeah, records yeah. or just like in a database somewhere? I, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but um, Hans Schwab uh, actually worked for Escher Weiss Brazil, which was Eugen Schwab's. Uh, he was a managing director of the, uh, the, the Ravensburg um, factory, the massive sprawling factory. It was like it made up basically two thirds of people who lived in Ravensburg worked at Escher Weiss. It was the biggest employer. Um, and it, it's like it made big turbines and other stuff that was really in demand um at that time because of uh hydroelectric dams and stuff needed massive turbines that were really uh, a unique uh, niche product uh that that only a certain amount of factories could uh, uh you know design and make and uh escher weiss was one of the main producers of such things that we use in hydroelectric dams uh, submarines um during the war they made submarine parts they made um uh, fighter parts for fighter planes jet fighter planes they made casing for atomic uh bombs uh potential atomic bombs if the sure. nazis had got there yeah and and Klaus Schwab, he he doesn't like he does he deny like has he ever been asked about any of this is he it just it's never you know what i mean like the <laughs> No, Klaus Schwab. He does. Um, he he's very very interesting. Um, he he did mention his father's name once. Now and again, he's getting older. Yeah, and Klaus Schwab slips out, lets something slip that he shouldn't have say, and then he rambles afterwards. And I got to. Uh, this is part of the reason why I I I managed to be able to to find out the information about the second part of um uh the the series the schwab series that i wrote because he rambles and he gives his game away and he does it multiple times and if you study schwab and his behavior he you could see when he says something he shouldn't say and you can see that something comes afterwards that excuses and then that points at the thing that he says look have a look at that and that led me to multiple amazing like un uh, uh discoveries but the there, first he, discovery he doing it essentially he just keeps having yeah 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 okay so, so well he's so, gonna get worse and worse as he yeah, gets like older you know? old, right yeah yeah he's 86 or something like uh, that 86 <laughs> and looking fresh in he his looks actually pretty good for yeah he does look pretty good for... <laughs> but you can imagine he's probably had a few things pumped up here and put in there and it's oh, yeah. rubbed across here and there oh yeah <laughs> um but uh, but the first discovery was that uh, um, Klaus Schwab's father was the managing director of the Escher Weiss uh, Ravensburg factory. Escher Weiss was a Swiss company that was run by the Schmidt Heines, uh, set up by Walter Zulpinger in I think about eighteen between eighteen forty and eighteen sixty. It took a long time to build the factories, and only started like focusing in on things like um, uh, turbines for dams and stuff in the early eighteen hundreds. Uh, moved on massively and become a really important part of the war. And of course, during the war, it was a model Nazi company. So is every. Uh, four months or something they would write up a book these nazis and they would say who 
were the model Nazi company. And one of the people featured in this book, one of the companies featured in the book was Escher Weiss, Ravensburg, managed by Klaus Schwab's father, uh, model Nazi company. It was it was doing fine work. And during the war, they got special exemption in Ravensburg from the Allies, not to be bombed. Really? This is like, Why? yeah, super rare. Uh, because they, the Red Cross, the Swiss Red Cross, said Ravensburg is extremely important for our humanitarian efforts. At the same time, I think it was 694 people were euthanized in Ravensburg, and they were using slave labor from uh, people that they had captured, captured soldiers from uh, the, the Eastern Front, were shipped into Ravensburg to help to uh, build these arms. Because the fact, like I say, was Brawling factories that are building all the arms, and yet the Allies agreed not to bomb them, and uh, they would have known what was going on. Well, it, it comes it down to the fact that was... they were duped. No, it was one of the centers of the nuclear bomb project, the atomic bomb project. They needed to be able to. to you have after uh, if you're both racing towards something you can't just constantly try and knock out the other team you want to know what they know that's where they, and so they they get their uh, chance of intelligence if they both know they've been signaled by the other side don't look here they start looking there they work out what's going on and then they can start infiltrating and work out who's involved and etc etc and build up some fantastic dramatic spy chase that can come to a, a conclusion with their allies winning woo hoo 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 um and, and so they would let it go on and they did let it go on they didn't do anything during the war they just let them um they let them try and they failed of course i yeah. mean we know we know history but eugene schwab was obviously worried so he he was looking um uh to get out and that was the first time the swiss citizenship thing came up and that was the first moment that i had a piece a document that said uh eugene schwab was the father of Ursula schwab and klaus martin schwab and was married to Erika schwab and it says it on the document because they were trying to get out of germany to claim swiss citizenship and renounced their German citizenship because they once had a Swiss, because he had once had his right. mother was and, and that's Switzerland. Germany lost the war essentially, so they're yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, and 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 he had just it. been. Yeah, and he's just uh, just been working for a modern Nazi company, and they've just watched Nuremberg play right. it out. And I tell you what, you can once you work out what's going on in Europe um, between the end of the war and say probably about like mid sixties, there's just like everybody's just crapping themselves everywhere. Everybody is just in a state of panic and fear. It's high of the Cold War. We can't even understand what that means now. We've been so desensitized to it. Then it was a completely new thing and i've heard a quote a brilliant quote that, that that defines it where someone says you know we weren't expecting to die tomorrow in nuclear war we were expecting to die right now so anything we did it did not matter there was not 20 years to worry about being in prison or something like that there was no life after that because they had been convinced so uh, possibly so readily because they'd been primed to be convinced the public everybody had been primed to be convinced because of that solidarity behind the war effort and then afterwards like that, that leaks out into the 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 uh, other system now, now Eugene Schwab doesn't again Switzerland as it does with Klaus later on as I mentioned uh refuses to give him uh, uh, citizenship um, denies the citizenship because of the fact that they renounced Swiss citizenship when they moved to Germany in 1898 or 1899. 
So um, Eugen Schwab obviously laid low, but he became quite a big deal. Uh, soon, like a lot of the Nazis were just like given jobs in places where they couldn't be that much hassle. And yeah, it'd be yeah, a bit just... of bad publicity. But, you know, there was really some big people like I think von Papen was one of them who just ended up being a politician again. And they said some of these guys have done awful stuff uh eugene schwab become like the head of the uh, like commerce for ravensburg like this organization set up and he's got to be un understood uh the schwabian people the people of that area um they they live and exist in a, a place where there's multiple it's like a thoroughfare for all of these armies of the past like there was a swiss border there's the austrian border there's the Italian border behind the Alps there's the Germans, there's a different type of Germans there's the Bavaria and all of these powerful nations, there's France over there that could always come in they, they, you know, for, for if, if Switzerland, they had to uh, basically trade with everybody and keep everybody sweet so they didn't just become part of that country or part of that country right. or part of that country or part, so, so they were very good and I think it's within the, I really do believe that it's a genetic trait within the people of Ubersch to trade to uh not only trade but to 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 um accept that uh really really dangerous deals to keep the peace hmm. and that's yeah. something that i think schwab does constantly and, he, and that's something he's doing currently you believe yeah, 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 yeah. Most yeah. definitely, I, I think. I, I, I mean, that's that's what comes. The second in the series really is important because I had ended that that piece and I couldn't understand a couple of things. I it took me a year between the first piece and the second piece, and I, I, I researched loads, but I was looking in the wrong place. Um, and I was trying to understand. You know, Klaus Schwab, he does all of these things. If I had followed him up. I'd start to see how he had um, let gone through university, left university, gone to work for a company or to gone to work for his father's old company, Escher Weiss, the model Nazi company, um, once as a trainee and then later on as a merger in 1967 after he had gone to Harvard. And then suddenly he's a guy who sets up the World Economic Forum and it's one of the biggest deals around and all of this and that and the other. And it was, just seemed to be a gap. It, it, it was I had given people like the history of Klaus Schwab and they had gone, oh, thank God. God for that. Okay, now let's get on to the World Economic Forum. And it, there was a big gap in between that. Klaus Schwab had come from this father. He had got, he had bought, been brought up in this area, but there was something else there, and I how, couldn't how work out what it was. How long of a gap was it? Like, in terms um, of what time wise? Like, was there a time um, gap? Well, in in a sense, uh, I've I've basically worked out really uh, loosely what's happened during a certain amount of time. And then 1967, he goes, works for his father's company. And then 1971, so four years later, he sets up the World Economic Forum. And it just seems like there was a, there's a lot happens there in Klaus Schwab's life, and I hadn't really looked into it. So I went, I, I what really was the breaker was uh, hunting through um, the, again, like I say, I spend a year getting to know Klaus Schwab, getting to know how he speaks, getting to know when he says something and he rolls back. So it was it was like there's a couple of points. One time when he talks about his dad and then I noticed how he got really nervous about talking about like accidentally naming his dad and he got really nervous and, blah, 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 and said a load of things afterwards. And when he does that, it was really suspicious. So I looked for that again and again and again and eventually I found it. And when, when he 
was talking about Henry Kissinger and he was like, I went to Harvard and I, I, I was taught by Henry Kissinger and he, I could not afford to go on the course, but he let me sit in for free. And I just like, he equivocates uh, in a way that just now makes me buzz, makes it yeah, says something there. Yeah. And so as soon as I, I'd seen that and I'd really like understood where there's something there, I, I went back um, and I researched this course that he went through and it's called, it's the most incredible stories is Kissinger's international seminar um, and Kissinger's international seminar was run at Harvard through the summer schools. And it had been set up in 1950, 1951, just as Kissinger's leaving Harvard. Um, he's gaining his uh, degree in government. He's written the biggest dissertation in Harvard's history. And he's the big knob on the scene. And everybody wants him. And he applies to, to work for the FBI. And they say, no, 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 no. You need to go work for the CFR. So while he goes work for the CFR, he's also based at Harvard, putting on, in the summer school, Harvard's international seminar. Now, this was an interesting deal really interesting deal in 1950 it was the trial the kind of setting up a trial run of it 1951 was the first sort of like you know the beta test and then 1952 onwards it became a force of its own it ran from 1950 to 1967 and its purpose was to train the young global leaders that will be needed to be installed in countries where the cia has cooed because at the same time in 1952 cia do their first coup uh, in Egypt with King Farouk with uh, Operation Fatbuck, it's called. It's um, called uh, Operation Fatbuck? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that is the official. I think you probably um, find it on Wikipedia written. Like, it, it's well known. That is the first name. And he was, he was. King Farouk was yeah, a lazy. Uh, yeah, he, he was, and he was an arsehole, arsehole basically. And, but 1953, um, you had Iran and you had the coup, coup in there. Um, and so you had you you had this need to create young global leaders. Now, who was funding Kissinger's international seminar? Well, I tell you, the Farfield Foundation, one of the funders, their CIA um, conduit, um, and there was a couple others, uh, the Asian Foundation. Um, but one of the most significant was the American Friends of the Middle East, um, and they were exposed exposed i say in 1967 the year klaus schwab is graduating from kissinger's international seminar yeah. as having funded y yes yes and also the last uh, yeah. funding funding uh the the course cia conduits now american friends of the middle east is amazing it's uh kermit roosevelt was the guy who, who helped create the cia one of the first members of the cia who planned out the entire coup for operation fatback and the entire uh a coup for uh the first two you know of these he, he was really vital a really important he's a grandson of teddy roosevelt yeah. so you know he, he really important figure his father kills himself in alaska it's like he, it's it's a really weird story there's a load of weird stuff with kermit roosevelt but basically him and a few others were very eager uh, it's a really weird world because they were very eager um 
to uh, influence the world politics and install American-leaning um, what would be essentially dictators, but leaders into different countries so that they could stop the Soviet advance that they saw. Um, and they were very pro-Palestine. This is something that before 1967, nearly all of the people who made it make up the CIA are all pro-Palestinian, nearly all of them. They don't like how Israel's moving, how it's moving so fast. And that was a real big surprise, um, I, I found, for me. But they're the main funders, one of the main funders for uh, Kissinger's International Seminar. Now, that's known because of this uh, uh, report that was made by Humphrey Dorman once it was revealed that there was two newspapers, including New York Times, and another one I can't remember the name of. It's called, like, The Rumble or something. Um, and, and basically, they, they, they were going to come out with, hey, look, you, this is cia funded course and um and, and, by, it, it, and we it say by, by sorry to cut you off when you say by funded like they're just paying the tuition and just the costs of like in, everything just everything yeah. just the, the whole thing uh, is just like this so just... so the the magazine that came out that went alongside the course that and if you look at what happened inside the course what the course was actually like it's basically the world economic forum Really? It's basically the yes. <laughs> like so not only the... are they training the young global leaders, but they have all of these leaders from around the world come and all of these different people who are in business and in enterprise and in government come around the world and speak about a certain subject to the rest. And they write it in the magazine that was called Confluence. And Confluence was Rockefeller funded. So Rockefeller was the person who who actually... Yeah. Uh, f f it, it, I mean, a lot of the people who were involved in these efforts were Council on Foreign Relations during a time where John uh, J. McCloy and uh, David Rockefeller were the top guys at that organization. And a lot of what happens next still in, it involves them because this CIA funding, now they admitted between 1960 and 1966 how much CIA funding had gone into Kissinger's International Seminar but they refused to give out the previous 10 years because I think it would have been very embarrassing how much money they it's pumped into this. Tons. And who are the other uh, you say the, these global leaders, do you have a, a, a list of who the others are? Yeah, 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 it's really hard to uh find certain names there was an israeli and there was uh, a japanese leader who i can't remember the names of um there was valerie giscard now uh, i i i think his name was valerie destin giscard who was president of france soon after um there was uh trudeau's father pierre yeah. trudeau was yeah one of the young global leaders uh of kissinger's young oh, global kissing. leaders and how does that, someone so. like p i'm canadian myself how does someone like pierre trudeau get involved in that like is he going to harvard or is he being like like met, okay so met this at a is a coffee shop by a guy in a black suit to be like you know this is really interesting because i thought I, I i tried to understand how they did this and they did this in a very basic way um one of the examples of how they advertised for this was in the lahore military gazette in india um which i found in a newspaper archive and they were advertising um kissinger's international harvard's international seminar i mean everybody called it kissinger's international seminar and there was a lot more there was a lot of other people who were behind kissinger's international seminar but it got called that um they they said basically it lists what you need now this is where it proves klaus schwab was a liar you see you didn't have to pay to get on the course because the course was completely free and they paid 
for you to go on the course and all of your travel expenses from wherever you are in the world, all of your stay, all of the sundries, all of the extras. And you were bought there because only at the start it was 50 candidates and eventually it worked up about 200, just like the Young Global Leaders did, of, of people bought from all around the world, all these different countries brought in to this group to be trained how to um be american aligned and they were looking for the american aligned a lot i mean a lot of this it comes down to and i'll explain it really briefly but in 1917 you had uh, Willie Munzenberg create Comintern which was Communist International and this was what this idea was basically based on it was trying to get loads of youth organisations and a network of recruiting potential young leaders um, throughout all of the different parts of the community and because the Soviets have been doing it for so long they were really skilled at it but 1945 is when the Americans realised and the British we need to do the same thing after know. World War because every, yeah, everything's understood. So this is like the ultimate, basically, long long game here. Like, they're really yep. like kind of planning this out for in perpetuity. Yeah, I, I mean, there's two things here. Okay, so there's the CFR and Kissinger, that's what they do. Kissinger um, is emblematic of the CFR's grey game. It's like everybody in there is going to be um, five generations gone by the time their plan is enacted. You know, that's that's so how it is for Kissinger probably still every... alive somehow. Oh yeah, I, I I doubt I doubt you can call really that life. Sure. <laughs> I doubt you I mean, can call that life. Indeed, yeah. So he's basically Henry Kissinger. Essentially, is the most influential person on earth. Or yeah yeah what's what's really interesting as well i, I mean is uh the two mentors that schwab get given um gets given during kissinger's international seminar because kissinger's international seminar it was a three-part deal really um you went to the the speeches and the talks by these big leaders who were invited to write in the magazine and speak to these potential young global leaders and inspire them and give them connections but there was also like um a schmoozing party site where they had arranged a little cocktail party to between the seminars where everybody would meet the big wigs um and then they would get given their mentors people who they went away with people who would guide them in the next stage of their journey like usually again. see and how long what's yeah. the length of this course this program was like a single summer uh two, like two years it's like two, so summers. two, I, two summers i i yeah so so you jen schwab tells klaus schwab go to the only place you're going to succeed in this cold war you're in this world i mean i'm 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 I, i'm suggesting or inserting that he probably said in this cold war world they knew what world they were living in um but he said the only place you need to go is harvard um and that was the center of nuclear war strategy during the time of the cold war it was a really important move um and kissinger's international seminar was more about just like education um, so it, Klaus Schwab went in 1965. By 1967, he's leaving and he's been given two extremely important mentors. And that's the year where he goes back and he says, oh, and then Peter Schmittheiny, he called me and his father's Jacob Schmittheiny, who used to run the other, uh, it was the, like the head of all of Escher Weiss when Eugen Schwab was the managing director of the Ravensburg branch. His son, Peter Schmittheiny, become the CEO of all of Escher Weiss. And he asked Klaus Schwab, you've gone to Harvard now, you, you, you know modern business techniques, why don't you come with me and 
and we'll set the best advice. And so Klaus Schwab says he goes over there and basically he's involved in um, the merger of Escher Weiss with Schulze AG and Brown Bavari um, Company. And this merger is really important uh, because during the time Klaus Schwab is the second in charge of this merger and of all of the companies proper, they're also selling illegal nuclear weapons technology to the uh, South African regime while the South African regime, the apartheid regime, has got an embargo on it. Um, it's stopping people from selling. This is between 1967 and 1977-1979. 1979 um but he was in charge between 1967 and uh 1969 so this is like a massively he's doing the same thing his father did at the same exact company as soon as he leaves harvard as soon as he leaves a really important person henry kissinger who had been the father of uh new the theory of foreign policy and nuclear war nuclear war and foreign policy being one of the biggest books and most important books of that era um and, and the idea of perpetual war and these things now one of the other fathers of atomic sort of like uh the atomic age and keeping peace during it uh how it would play out the big guy the real big thinker was herman khan who was uh at the hudson institute heavily influenced by the rand uh corporation and was the guy who wrote on thermonuclear war which really oh, just wow. like uh stuck to the uh cold war onto a different footing he was one of schwab's mentors given to him now now 1967 he's allocated uh, Herman Kahn and John Kenneth Galbraith, who I'll talk about a little bit in a sec, um, he's given Herman Kahn as this person to go back and start setting up the World Economic Forum with. What, what, uh, someone who's selling illegal nuclear weapons technology then is given a, a, a mentor, and I get a feeling that's yeah. somehow American involved, there's American involvement, and it's more evidence of that. Yeah, well, well, uh, uh, the other mentor was John Kenneth Galbraith, and four years after this time, in 1972, 1971, 1972, he's mentoring Benazir Bhutto, or at least asked to mentor Benazir Bhutto by her, her father, um, Zufika Ali Bhutto, and and who had met him years before when he was um, uh, the, uh, the ambassador to India under JFK. And John Kenneth Galbraith is one of the biggest, most important people in history, especially when it comes to the hidden history of what's really going on. He's a really interesting character. But that, I think, what you saw with Zufika Ali Bhutto when he was ruling Pakistan eventually gets executed. And Benazir Bhutto, who eventually gets assassinated um, of her two times ruling Pakistan, is the leaking and the 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 hunt for atomic uh, weaponry and nuclear weaponry uh, against what the globe is saying, including Kissinger, who's warning Zufika Ali Bhutto in the 70s, don't you dare. At the same time, Kissinger is uh, supplying help for Zufika Ali Bhutto to get nuclear weapons for Pakistan because so, they had changed their thinking. Yeah, so this is all basically based or centered around nuclear. And it's also centered weapons. around Harvard. 
and Harvard. Yeah, because that because because Benazir Bhutto goes to Harvard, gets given uh, John Kenneth Galbraith's son, eventually becomes a lifelong friend of Benazir Bhutto. And John Kenneth Galbraith, like I say, teacher to um, JFK, uh, was studying um, Nazi uh, um, uh, policy, land policy in uh, 1938, had uh, been placed in Germany uh, just before the the war met his wife there his wife lived with hitler's girlfriend uh jfk yeah i know he's wife oh wow we lived with hitler's girlfriend kitty mitford uh it's it's uh, you it's so crazy you can't believe it now jfk says i uh, call scalbraith like the phileas fog of of politics he's like he he he's really wants him to become the ambassador to the ussr that's how like important John yeah. Kenneth Galbraith yeah. is in history. He's really important in history. He's like the 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 um I I believe he's a left wing fake counterculture option that the CFR put in charge. He was a CFR man for a long time. Openly, What's he CFR says current? he left. Uh, Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, gotcha. uh, Council on Foreign Relations, who recruited Hitler's uh, Hitler. Sorry, that's <laughs> like Kissinger, Kissinger. <laughs> uh, st straight out of Harvard. Um, they, they, he did when Kissinger was recruited out of Harvard. He went to the Council on Foreign Relations to uh, um, uh, game theory war. Uh, nuclear yeah. war so that's why he wrote the nuclear uh war and foreign policy book because eventually he's he, he he had been become the expert by the cfr's help the council on foreign relations is basically um a rhodesian sort of from the cecil rhodes idea uh of like how to govern the world that, uh... yeah 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 well i mean is the Rhodes scholar is? stuff uh, yeah there's lots of Rhodes scholars there's who are I I've, I've, I I follow uh, I follow on another article I followed a lot of the Rhodes scholars um, who were connected to the Royal Society and other things and these societies were set up uh, in after the, really after mainly after um, the death of Cecil Rhodes uh, to be sort of like the hidden hand and organizations like Council on Foreign Relations in America and Chatham House the uh, International Institute for Foreign Affairs I think it's called uh, in Britain the, these these organizations organizations were set up by for the same function to be basically the hidden hand and council on foreign relations have massive meetings where they decide basically how everything goes at a real fundamental level and nobody knows is going on and so these people who are all like the main movers and shakers who are behind the scenes pulling strings in ways that we don't see in the media etc nearly all of them are council on foreign relations even um herman khan uh was council worked on council on foreign relations for the council on foreign relations um on on multiple projects and wrote for uh foreign policy magazine and council for foreign relations in that way too um so they were all connected and these these mentors are no like small thing klaus schwab is given two of the most powerful minds in the entire world at that time the most uh diplomatic man you could say john kenneth galbraith who could convince anybody of anything um herman khan one of the most intelligent humans you'll ever meet you might not like agree with how he thinks but honestly his intellect was just one of a kind why would they be given this level of help to go and form the world economic forum which was then european management symposium so it was dressed up as just oh it's business 
It's a load of people in business. And a, a part of it was this development of Klaus Schwab's theory, um, this what, uh, stakeholder off, what, capitalism. Why Klaus Schwab as the guy for this? Because I imagine that you're saying they had 200 people annually. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like inkling as to why he was the guy? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. He's um, like Kissinger, like a few other people throughout history, like someone who I'm going to like be releasing an article about eventually who's an extraordinary um, intellect of his time is still uh, has problems today. They're selected because they have achieved the most. They are literally the heads of every club, the heads of every society. They have managed to um, get to the top of every youth organization, every school uh, or like event or they're just or, able to or, climb or every class. hierarchy like they, they, just, they, they, had, they i mean klaus schwab ha, may have had like um three degrees got three degrees in a matter of four years and then was just being thrown honorary degrees like universities and he was still a young man so that obviously they've seen something in him and they've said okay that's a sure deal there's yeah. no doubt about it. He will be able to get a load of managers together. He's already got that mindset. He's calm. He's focused. And he's bland and gray. You know, he looks a lot like when when you go back to the 60s and 70s, he looks a lot like nearly every single person who is in the Nixon cabinet of that era. You know, these sort of like wearing big glass, big frame glasses, this sort of sunken face, this gray suit looking really bland and no boring, smiling. and no one wants to pay attention to him. No one wants to pay attention because they're so boring, and that's what they want. They want you and that's to... By, uh, now, is that by design? Yeah, that, you're saying that's by design. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you think he's well, acting the- like that by design, or... Yeah, I I think he 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 knows he knows the game. Yeah. He knows it. He knows he's a part in this wheel. He's not the whole wheel. Everybody like you know when they get on going on about Klaus Schwab, loads of people like to think he's like the ruler of the world and all of this. But he's just seriously, he is just uh, uh, the right guy at the right time. And there's another important thing. A real really important thing um uh, a, a few really but this is really important herman khan uh between 1966 and 1968 is right in the year 2000 and an ancillary uh, policy document for the state department and the year 2000 basically predicts um all of the future tech advances that we expect to see he is i it is an extraordinary piece of work i in 1968 he is able to predict nearly everything that we still haven't got yet and all the stuff yeah and all the stuff i mean all of the expectations we've got about technology in the future was were were nailed by herman carnet at the moment when he's being klaus schwab is being given him as a mentor and klaus schwab i say this in the the, the, one of my pieces klaus schwab basically takes that as saying right i'm going to use this as a tick sheet to uh try and advance all of these different technologies as a true technocrat and that's what he sees himself as like is that where that's yeah 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 all of it i mean that is even mentioned in it that's it yeah yeah (laughs) but the the bugs is i mean what they don't want us to pr wise and i know a lot about their the main pr guy behind the the stuff that's like the most known about yeah they they don't they they don't mean for it to go out of control like that they think it's a good idea and they think it's bland enough at the time but then sometimes they're too good at branding so great reset um you'll own nothing and you'll be happy eat the bugs all of those things are things when they go oh god we should show that too much of our true face 
because with technology what happens is if you want to increase the technology and you want to make all these things happy you're going to have to make people unhappy eventually because loads of people who are used to the past won't want to adapt to the future and that's the way it's always been but some technologies you don't need and some you do need and Herman Kahn said himself in the same way that Schwab was saying tick 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 to all of these predictions made these very accurate predictions made by Herman Kahn Herman Kahn said we must be so careful with all of this stuff because if we go too far we risk basically destroying everything on the second um of the Schwab piece um uh Schwab pieces that I wrote for Unlimited Hangout um I I there's a there's a paragraph at the end that if people don't want to go through the whole article which is a a, a really Fair thorough enough. article if you go to that very last paragraph the the statement that Herman Kahn makes is just extraordinary and it's still today it like sends shivers through me and should send shivers through everybody um who who reads it it's a really important moment we are entered into in history um and Herman Kahn was really important in that so the fact that he gets given these people and they are the people who open up the first world economic forum john uh, kenneth galbraith is um the co uh speaker the co-main speaker um uh, of the events alongside a von um habsburg uh otto von habsburg who's also um a co-key keynote speaker i think they call it and in terms of motivation for them like is it is it actual power or is it like they just want to kind of call the shots about everything and just really run the show like what is it i guess those are kind of run hand in hand but M multiple things one of the really one of the really important things that people don't understand they say oh, oh look they go to world economic forum but they don't do anything devious there but they do they connect with each other devious people connect with other devious people and then they're able to go away into the shadows once they've met at this nice little soiree that they have up in the the mountains where they all go skiing together and everything's so nice and they have such nice food they all then go away and then they're able to meet in dark rooms and make all of their nefarious plans we see it as world economic forum and and that kind of suits them as well. Oh, look, they're there and everything they're talking about is what they're focusing in on. But behind the scenes, they're doing terrible things. And we know the people who are, if you go through the history of the World Economic Forum, there's not many um, nice, like, it's not really full of nice people. I've yeah, known people nice who... Yeah, people. And, and they're very influential yeah. in world politics. Like, they, these are and the they, people they, who have the ear of they, all the leaders of all the countries, for the most part. They go, to, they go there and they feel like they're part of the club. And it's a club like of evil james bond characters who want to hang around with other evil james bond characters they're just like they're desperate to be part of specter you know yeah. and and what what's really intriguing is given that they're given they're kind of given that by that bring it being brought up watching james bond movies and all of this sort of stuff and the people who um created james bond were like Ivor bryce who was the only british member of the oss during the war um the the uh, uh, of course, um, the, the main writer, Ian Fleming, who was best friend of Ivor Bryce, um, he was, uh, he, uh, Goldeneye was his retreat in Jamaica after he worked for special services during the war. Um, and they continued to afterwards and they had to keep promoting it. So they, like they've 
those people in a sense those elites have also kind of been brainwashed by other intelligence agents and if you look at it it was set up to look like it's about business but it's i mean it, there's a lot of businessmen there but there's a hell of a lot of intelligence linked people there and most high up executives nowadays have their intelligence links because once they get up to a certain point they're in the club yeah, you're in, in the club yeah, you, like you can do huge damage if you're the ceo yeah jp Morgan. you got a stake yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, I mean that that that's that's <laughs> a, a, one of the many companies, one of the many banks that are, are basically becoming like the people who you see at the World Economic Forum, Vanguard, BlackRock, all of those people, uh, all those companies, all those entities that are swallowing up everything, um, and at the same time working with all the gangsters in the world, getting away with it, and that's why they're at the World Economic Forum. That's why they're hanging around there because they keep getting away with it while they're hanging around with their mates right, and right. we know that that's the protection there is uh, uh, just one second i'm actually uh i'm gonna open up the phone lines because we're almost at, at cool. the, uh, the 10 o'clock hour so you can continue phone lines are open if anybody wants to ask uh, johnny a question one triple eight nine four nine two nine six nine if you have any questions for johnny uh anyways continue johnny yeah, I, I was just what I was going to say is that I, I wrote um uh, a third that was called uh, Kissinger Continuum. There's actually four parts of the series, but I wrote a third that was called Kissinger Continuum. And that really looked at the fact that by the time um, the World Economic Forum got to the uh, past the fall of Berlin Wall, 1992, 1993, they were setting up the first uh, Young Global Leaders, which was uh, Global Leaders for Tomorrow, uh, which Bill Gates and Tony Blair and all these other people um, were all, all part of the first year. And this was to train young global leaders. And uh, eventually in 2004, that was finalized to be the World Economic Forum uh, for Young Global Leaders. Yeah. And that was funded by the Dan David Foundation in 2004, a million dollars was given to klaus schwab and they said what are you going to do with it and he said oh i'm going to set up the forum for young global leaders and who's on the board of the dan david foundation at the time making the decisions but henry kissinger himself really so henry so kissinger they're all just inter, yeah they're all so everybody's just so intertwined they're holding on to so. their power essentially and then like as long as like nobody wants to give up when you have that kind of power and i guess i like you know, you think Henry Kissinger thinks it's more than power? Like, he's just like, I'm required for the fate of humanity? Like, is it something to Yeah, that yeah, yeah. He... He, he has had a lot of positive reinforcement for all of his behavior all throughout his life. So if you're constantly having people tell you that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, um, then you just keep acting in this way that you're acting. And at the same time, if you actually, I mean, on the, the fourth article, I studied what happened after the fall of Kissinger's International Seminar um, at Harvard. About five years later, they set up um, something in the German Marshall Fund called the German Marshall fund uh which was based at harvard funded by like a 250 or 150 million in deutschmark from the german government willie brandt um and and that was eventually become uh, harvard's version of the young global leaders they have five different uh young leadership courses run out of the gmf and it was even run um by uh a, a woman um oh why would her name escape me now abby collins um, and she was a person who had run kissinger's international seminar and she's running this new seminar and in there was the head of it was Guido Goldman, whose father was one of the founders of Israel. Um, and Guido Goldman was Kissinger's best friend, literal 
pillow fluffer used to go around to kiss he lived in kissinger's apartments lived they they, they were like they'd be a comedy couple together honestly if you could make a sitcom about them where they're all just hanging around and doing their normal uh, new world order stuff back in the 60s and 70s <laughs> like uh, guido goldman actually sets up kissinger's uh 50th birthday party just after watergate after he's been caught spying on everybody and uh <laughs> and all of the people who turn up are people he spied on but these are the people who were involved in this this uh this sort of network guido goldman also one note about him that's really interesting he um buys jeffrey epstein's house off him uh when for, was this yeah this was in 2006 or something along those lines he bought no no it was in the 90s he bought jeffrey epstein's property off him for edgar bronfman um uh one of the properties that were two next to each other uh it's it, so they, they've they, there's all sorts of links yeah, and they're all just they're all somehow you obviously i imagine you have some opinions on uh jeffrey epstein not to get too far off uh <laughs> but like yeah, how does yeah. just i'm sure people want to ask this and i Again, if you want to call in, but um, how does like he, yeah, how does he tie into that other than just being some, you know, guy who's somehow around it, all these elite like? All right, there's a there's a period during um like post seventies, uh, really around the time Gerald Ford gets in, and then Reagan era, especially those two sort of like terms in america where the cia and the like are given like free reign yeah. and they, there's lots of operations go up and lots of Sorry, John, new one, people that enter the scene one sec we got go a call on. here we got a call here okay uh, just one moment please hello thanks for calling low value mail one second while we patch you through to johnny and you should be you are live with johnny who am i speaking with Hey, Johnny, this is the Goob. Yo, Goob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've you. got a, a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, do you see any or or do you go into uh, Bale, Moloch and, you know, ancient knowledge? And do you think that plays a role in any of this, that there is, you know, these elites uh, hoarding and sharing ancient knowledge and practicing it and... Uh, Yep. worshiping these, these yeah man um there's loads of elements to it so recently i i um i i'm i released the first part of it uh the other day and i released the second part soon um it's called uh the owl uh the mortarboard and the almighty dollar uh the first part uh and it's a look at bohemian grove uh, which Kissinger and all of these guys were were involved in and where it actually come from. And it is very, there's like lots of ritual symbols. Moloch the owl is there and it's given the name and it's, you know, and it's presented with these rituals that go on uh, throughout history. And something like that, that set up in 1872, is questioned even all of the way through all of its uh, its like uh, running, but has continued to still be uh, something that these guys get involved in because they're drawn to this. They're drawn. A lot of us are drawn to the past. A lot of us are drawn to the past. I I feel it myself. I feel it being um, a Welshman. I feel Celtic. I feel uh, like a, a real link to sort of like things that are symbology of that era 
And maybe if I was uh, a different way of thinking that I would be looking for the dark parts of that. And and so I, I'm talking with a guy um, on the newspaper podcast uh, tomorrow. I'm literally going to be recording it, which he's going to tell me the real, like a lot of the history behind like the one eye symbology, the covering the eye, which eye you cover, which hand you cover with, um, where it all comes from originally. And I've done a load of research into that sort of stuff. And what I, what I love is that it's like history repeating, isn't it? It's these, it's these cycles. And it's really easy to work out who's evil because they tend to be drawn to practicing and worshipping evil arts in some way. And these guys need clubs. These guys need clubs. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I like I like war games or stuff like that. You know, I like I like a, to have a, a place where I can go and, and chill out with, with the boys and play poker or whatnot. Um, these, these guys, they go off and they run naked through bohemian grove alongside the <laughs> russian river while moloch the owl watches over them this is this is just the reality and they they by um when i the the one i will be releasing uh in a couple of days that's about bohemian grove the second part of that uh looks in the 60s and 70s about how you see the press are turning to say if you question what's going on at Bohemian Grove, you're into conspiracies and you're just wild and out there and you're just looking to protest for the sake of protesting and all of this sort of stuff. They try to make you feel mad for looking at what they're doing. Uh, that's always a sign that these well, guys are hiding something. I'm pretty, I'm pretty into conspiracies and I think Bohemian Grove is, you know, very much, uh, publicly what they do and and they're into much deeper stuff than that in private um so you, know, you could you, you could definitely yeah, you could definitely can tell, tell me that. crazy no 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 I, I, <laughs> I, loads of people could call you crazy for loads of different reasons man i'll still believe it though yeah yeah it depends which room of people you're in to, to be whether you're going to be called crazy but i i, I there's there's um I keep coming across, I'm researching someone at the moment whose father like ticks all of the boxes. I already know what his son's done, but his father ticks all the boxes. He was Bohemian Grove attendee um, and he uh, is a 33 degree Mason and he is Scottish rights Mason and all of these things are ticked along the lines, but they become, they should become as well a footnote in what the actual uh, intention and the manifestation of the behavior of that person throughout their life. And that's what they should be judged on. Um, of course, there's, there's people out there who are really naive about this sort of stuff. Um, think that like letting in sort of like dark evil stuff into their life will make their life better. And people don't really, you know, it's you get, you get what you give, you get out what you put in. Yeah. How's, yeah. That, how's that group? Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. I'll uh, let someone else go. On. Appreciate Later, it. Later, everybody. Nice, man. Was the goob, everybody. Is, uh, <laughs> I do like the um, goob. Yeah, he's, he's a good dude. I have a question from uh, one of the patrons that I'm going to ask you that he dropped. He says, uh, what do you think of the Argentinian nuclear project in the 50s? How much of it uh, was just a continuation of the Nazi nuclear problem? And was it more successful than it's made out to be? That's from John. 
Oh, you, you just got me interested in looking into a whole new area for me, because <laughs> I, I, I can honestly tell you, I, I, I don't know, but I find um, the progression in Latin America really interesting, and I would love to know more, because I started looking into Escher Weiss's uh, um, situation in Brazil. Brazil, um, to where Klaus Schwab is. And there's one point where, where I found a Klaus Schwab living in Colombia uh, during a time where Klaus Schwab is missing off the radar. And I just find it really, really strange and suspicious. And, you know, I think, go on, sorry. I was going to say, what's the record in Colombia that, that you found? um i it's i think it's in a newspaper i think it's in a newspaper archive anybody who's got one of the big archive uh newspaper archive site they could probably go to type in klaus schwab and look for about uh 1950s sometime uh, you'll find a lot of hand schwab because he's mentioned during that period um but it's about 1960 probably about 1965 1966 maybe earlier um but anyway yeah i it's it's these sort of things you have to look into um to understand the bigger picture um but it's constant you 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 have people ask you questions about stuff that is just like i really got to get into that now i gotta <laughs> I, I, you know that's i was already like uh, dipping my finger and i i was living in chile for the past six months um and yeah, you were I've, there all I've throughout met... covid right yeah well i was in and out through, through oh, covid yeah. I, I i arrived like i arrived like a week before lockdown um or a couple of days before lockdown over there and it was severe man you had to have a special form to get into a shop like you know and you only allowed out two hours a week and you had to have this form and that included driving to the place getting and everywhere's out in the middle of nowhere so so you know it's like it completely impractical uh and it was awful and uh they wouldn't let me in for six months when my child was being born they wouldn't let me into the country they they'd even got got the chilean embassy to pretend they were open online uh the the number and the address, email address never responded and never answered and i went there and there was two security guards there and they're like no it's been closed for four months and it's really? just a, pretended yeah yeah it was serious covid stuff that happened all over the place they with chile it was really remotely? Like, uh, <laughs> I, they were unwilling to uh, when the security guard gave me um another email which obviously they do for people who are distraught and at the door and won't leave and uh and so 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 i uh contacted that email and the person got back and denied that they were closed denied it even though i was standing with the security guards like and they they've said themselves and uh, it's just insane so I, I i was down there i find all of what happened afterwards i've been researching uh, operation condor recently um which was um latin american uh shared intelligence operations network uh between a load of different countries where they would use their assets um on a job in another country so it was really hard to trace back who was originally which country uh, was originally in charge so there was a lot of obvious nazi influence as well in argentina yeah, course, and yeah. argentina is a special place uh it's really got a strong um italian uh descendancy so a lot of people there are actually italians um and it, it's 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 a very yeah very interesting place i would love to go back so my, my answer is i'm sorry no <laughs> but i i yeah I, I will get there you'll, you'll ask, get me, the ask Ar- me again in two months yeah <laughs> you'll be on the argentina tip um so I, I can't imagine that you're you're done with your investigations 
into no like like, like uh, what is your ob- objective just to get as much of this out as possible like do you do you, do you how much do you think you have left to kind of dig through yeah this is what it depends what subject and what because because with the yeah. we, we've sorry have, actually, you know what hold that thought we got because i got another call. okay so, so let's take a call. cool yeah hello uh one second hello. Just, hey what's up let me just patch you through to johnny He's lighting his spliff. One moment, hey. please. And you are on the air with Johnny Vedmore. Who am I speaking with? Hey, what's going on? Danny, first of all, bro, you keep doing real good, getting great guests every week. Thank I you, thank you. And I, pre- I appreciate the guests uh, for coming on. And, yeah, I'm just a globalist. Not that kind of globalist. Like We, we had, uh, we had a Flat Earth globalist. guy on, Johnny, a couple weeks ago, Flat Earth mm-hmm. Dave, and he calls all people oh. who, who believe in our spherical Earth globalists. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's right. He's got us there. Yeah. What can we do about yeah, it? I was, I was just, made me laugh. Uh, anyways, go on, caller. Uh, so my uh, question was uh, for Johnny um, is – if he's familiar with the topic, but uh, basically all of the uh, backroom deals that were done by uh, basically the go- uh, by uh, Her Majesty's government, uh, especially, well, I mean, it would be His Majesty's because uh, everything basically with the Middle East after, you know, Lawrence of Arabia and the formation of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and what is it? Uh, basically, my whole thing is everything between Iran and the Mediterranean Sea is fake. Iran fake, Syria fake, Lebanon, I mean, Iraq fake, the land of the Philistines fake. But my question is, what? how far do you, do you know about uh, the, what is it, uh, things done by the Zionist lobby in, um, what's that, go, what's y'all's uh, Congress? In Parliament, done especially during the 1939 when a bunch of Jewish refugees were turned away from England, and then there were turned away from America because Winston Churchill told FDR to do the same and then turned away from Brazil. And the whole conspiracy that like the Zionist lobby knew that the, uh, what is it? There was the Holocaust and the eradication of Jew, but they would use that as a way to uh, basically convince people to create a so-called quote unquote Jewish homeland in the Middle East. Okay, I can answer this. I can tell you. I can. Right. I can answer this. Very good. I am. I'm actually working on something with a really interesting guy at the moment. Um, and it came from. I mentioned Guido Goldman earlier, who uh, who bought Jeffrey Epstein's house off him and, uh, for for on behalf of Edgar Bronfman. Well, his father was Nahum Goldman, and he was one of the people who did what you're saying there he was one of the leaders of that like the big guy uh an amazing i found an amazing quote about him and i can't wait to uh to 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 um uh i think it might actually be in the german marshall fund piece but about what he did in the backroom deals um when when it was for the creation of Israel. Now, before that, in the 20s, the, these guys come from really interesting uh, backgrounds. Um, Nahum Goldman was born in Lithuania. He uh, ends up being secret intelligence uh, post-World War One in Germany. So he's working as German undercover intelligence for years and years, like the birth of German intelligence service, proper modern service. Um, and then he uh, starts to basically 
quickly become a Zionist. Uh, he's, his father was a big Zionist, but he'd become an influential Zionist. Um, Nahum Goldman had already uh, like written uh, about Zionism and believed that the Jewish homeland had to be. He had already gone on the pilgrimages and stuff. And what they started to do in, in the 30s is go around and um, point out to all of the people who were in very weak and unstable governments that were near uh, the Nazi uh, sphere of influence that your guys are going to die soon if you don't do something about it and your guys are going to die soon if you're going to do and it does seem like he was warning um, not the Jewish people who lived in the countries but the countries that there was war coming but without any idea what to do with that and you could tell that by their rhetoric they say themselves we are not going to force Jewish people to leave when there is a genocide they will get killed you know they say it out loud they knew what was coming and they didn't lobby to save a lot of these guys it, these top zionists knew that the, the 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 harshness of what would be seen uh enacted upon uh jewish people through world war uh two and before by uh the nazis they knew that would be coming because they wanted to create they had their agenda already they had decided that palestine was theirs and they were going backwards and forwards and they were creating organizations all throughout palestine preparing for when this happened they knew world war would be a catalyst so when world war happened happened suddenly they become the people who are like oh we are really important because you're about to rue the day you ever said anything about us because the sympathy that was about to come to them that they knew was about to come was going to be utilized as a currency a political currency for them to get what they wanted and th the un was created by all of their friends so eleanor roosevelt very close friend to nahum goldman nahum goldman had fleed from Nazi Germany. In actual fact, he lived in Switzerland and he moved over to New York um, and before the war. And then in New York, they put up all of the big statement statesmen. So Wiseman, um, who I think was the um, shame Wiseman, who was the first proper president or prime minister of uh, newly founded Israel, uh, was a regular visit to Nahum Goldman's house before and after. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was really close and she was really important in the forming of the United Nations and the United Nations when it was built Nahum Goldman got his own office in there to start for the lobbying of uh the state of israel and they, they you know some of what the years this? this was um the, the 1945 1946 okay. uh he was installed in the un and they have their own office and they're lobbying for the creation of the state of israel and it's not going to be long before the state of israel is forced upon them and the british were crapping themselves about it from well early on they knew they held palestine it was british palestine that was their 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 that was one of the key important uh places to hold and they knew it and they tried to stop the zionists taking over and getting their way but eventually it was true because sorry go on is, is this before or after or during the balfour agreement I, 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 I listen. I know only the bit that I've researched so far. So, what year is? Uh, uh, did you say the Davenport Agreement? No, the Balfour. Balfour. 
But oh, oh, the Balfour Declaration, right? I, sorry, I thought you said Davenport. Um, yeah, well, the Balfour Declaration. When was that? That was like that was quite early, wasn't it? That was just post uh, World War uh, One, I yeah, think it was. was. Uh, right, yeah. So, so, so this is well after. This is probably about twenty years after, because um, because that's that's part of the reason. I mean, they had already the British already had rights they fought to this land, and it was pretty clear that the after the Holocaust, the sway was and the the wave of sentiment was. Uh, uh, like just yeah, completely like and utterly astounding, and uh, and yeah, they got given. Now a lot of Americans did not like it. A lot of Americans didn't want that to happen. They saw it as a very negative thing at the time, and there was a big propaganda push by some of the biggest Jewish organizations out there to uh, even. I say there's a big propaganda push. This comes up in the third Schwab article. Um, uh, there's a big propaganda push um, by the the uh, Jewish people to lobby on both sides. There's some who are saying, no, there shouldn't be an Israel. And there's the load who are saying there should be. So it's like a divided America on the Jewish front. But a lot of the normal Americans weren't very interested in this. They had to be forced upon them. And by 1967, they had no choice anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's also it's also interesting that like people like refer to Israel as like the like a like a Jewish homeland state, and that like you know came out from 1948. Uh, do people not know that like the first Jewish state was created by Stalin? I think in like 1936 mm-hmm. in uh, yep. far eastern Russia, the Jewish autonomous oblast. Oh yeah, yeah, the Jewish. Yeah, on, yeah, like, my parents. The yeah, my my parents have actually. I have family yeah. from there. <laughs> and the, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. My parents are Russian I, Jews. I, yeah, yeah. Because Ashkenazi sort of. Uh, it's it's. Do you know a lot of the? Mafia. I, I only heard that term. My mom used it recently, or like somewhat. I was like, "What is? What are you even talking about?" They're like, "Yeah, there was like this specific <laughs> thing in Russia." Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. Big but they, as well. they, I think they created it to like get rid of the Jews, though. Yeah, they were like, "Just you go." there <laughs> yeah there's there's space of that is yeah. and then i had uh, i had one more uh, last question for johnny and this is something a little more we're still still on the topic of israel but but also like how they're involved with uh, england and the crown and all that so uh are you familiar with israel's samson option that um, if uh, they yeah, get attacked by yeah 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 i got the book behind me yeah, but, but go on go on explain for other people yeah, I don't, I don't um, what is uh, so basically, it's like if Israel gets invaded by any of the neighboring Arab countries and none of the world comes in to intervene, they will use because Israel operates under the uh, principle of nuclear ambiguity, basically meaning they have nukes, but they won't even admit to it. But their whole thing is that they get invaded by uh, neighboring Arab countries and the Western powers don't intervene to help. They will basically launch nukes and they'll aim for places like Moscow, Rome, Paris, London, DC, really? and stuff <laughs> like that. Wow. Yeah, so like basically it, it just, comes from the like tale of Samson. Yeah, it well, comes they... from the tale of Samson because he was brought to the court by the Philistines, and then he pushed the pillars out, dropping the ceiling on him and everyone else, and the, the people who captured him. You, you, yeah, you, 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 you know, when we talk about this, what's really interesting is what the 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 word that come up when you were talking about the Russian place, autonomy. Like the Jewish people are very much about, and and they when they when they 
bunched together in their own country they're very much about themselves dependent on who what the, the political situation around them they change and they uh, re-ally with different people depending on who they need at the time and that's been a survival uh, mechanism for them throughout history and i think we see it all of the time and this is why it was so amazing to find out the american friends of the middle east were all like anti-zionists i yeah. i just didn't expect that the beginning of the cia was going to be basically made up of a load of anti-zionists while at the same time their government was basically creating and forming israel because and, it would give them instability yeah. and how do they reconcile that with uh like just the, the anti-zionism with the cia with the fact that they just had to they, just they, they were like they're just like all right uh, once the bosses upstairs said they had to do something they just had to do something gotcha. so that was it so i think it was the dulles brothers who who were really uh really influential in in keeping those anti-zionist in tow until 1967 and they lost the the yeah i mean by 1967 you've got a push in the media as well massive push to to uh say like Gildersleeve and Kermit Roosevelt and all these people are really terrible for being um, anti-Zionist, mm, and gotcha. and it really, really there was this, like like you say with this uh, Samson option, like that idea is is what Israel was made to be by people like Truman. That fear that it could just pop at any time, anything could go, and it could just destroy loads of things and peace and all of that. That fear, that perpetual like fear, is what they need to create. Yeah, it's. That's the psychological warfare that they're using to keep us all nice and calm and in, in line and doing whatever they want to do. But maybe it's true, maybe it isn't, but they set it up to look like it is, at least to us, so that they can uh, continue to um, yeah. rule us. Oh. Okay, we're going to take another call right here. One moment, please. Hello. Uh, one second, please, while we patch you through. Who am I speaking with? Hey, it's Greg from New Hampshire. Greg, okay, one second. Greg, all right, Greg, you are on the air with Johnny. Hey, guys, I, I just had a question that's sort of uh, topical to the times we're in. There's a candidate running for president. Uh, I'm sure Danny's familiar with Vivek Ramaswamy, and he's. Been, I like, tried to get. I'm trying to get him on the show. Actually, on, I've, I've spoken with him. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe I, really I shouldn't message. speak then. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I, hey, I'm uh, not. No, I'm not like. So, uh, so here, I just get interesting. I, know, I, I have a point and then a question, if I may. Yeah, <laughs> Johnny. So he, he was accused of you know being a WF global uh, youth. Is it youth leader? Uh, global youth or something like that, mm -hmm. and. Young he denies that. this. Oh, he fact. is one of them. Oh, what oh is I it? didn't know this. I had no idea. Yeah, he. No. So, but his picture was used on the website. He claims without his permission, and he is sort of painting it as an attempt to associate <laughs> him with them in an attempt to, you know, defame him in a way, or or to cause it cause him strife. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. You know, but he he has a very earnest way of speaking and you know sort of a message that resonates with a lot of people so i wanted to hear what you had to say about it well it's really interesting because i uh talked to the campaign manager he's going to be one of the first podcasts out on a uh, newspaper podcast i'm just launching uh, i talked to the campaign mm -hmm. manager of um, eric john burner 
Um, and Eric John Burner is one of the le lesser known Republican candidates that is trying to get momentum up right now. Um, they've been they, hmm. they, they've been touring through the, the country. They've just gone through Iowa. They're going up to New Hampshire soon, doing all of the routine. Um, and, mm -hmm. and he was actually talking uh, about this guy who I already knew um i i, I don't want to i don't want to dare say it's oh interesting because i get it oh, no, say it. No, no 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 go dude rama shami wami do because you know what he really did i like vivek ramaswamy he really did just like pop out of nowhere i feel uh yeah yeah i don't know if he just has tons of money and he's able to kind of make that happen with he does with, but yeah he has a lot he, he's a successful he, uh you know business type I mean, yeah I guess he was there's... called industrial politician like yeah. sort of by by um by, well maybe uh, I, I mean I, I will ask have you listened to what he has to say you know the actual his actual position no because i've only got to the point of examining the presidential race just at the moment and and i had only mm, come mm -hmm. across that guy because i had gained access to uh, a document that was like all of the young global leaders uh noted down. yeah and his pictures and, on it yeah 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 but this is like a separate one that kind of confirmed that he was on it from a, a, potentially another source, but they could just make it from just someone going through the site anyway. I'm not sure when yeah, they say all yeah. of this. I I'm always just like I, I I'm always really super suspicious. Why they, they, oh, I, I can't I, I can't imagine <laughs> that the World Economic Forum would would have done that without feeling that they were aligned in some way. But I also wouldn't put it past them because they're a bunch of devious gits, aren't they? I mean, I, I, I agree I, with you, and I, but I wonder. It's been corroborated by not corroborated his situation, but other people have claimed the same. Uh, other people said, hey, they did this to me, too. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's due to people who are like realizing that because when you if it, before the World Economic Forum was really known as this nefarious dystopian sort of um, uh, potential uh, dictatorship of the future, globalist dictatorship of the future. Everybody was kind of like, mm. oh, I don't even know who the World Economic Forum is. And, and lots of people who were probably naive to an extent, like um, who's that woman who writes uh, uh, Harry Potter? She was one of the young global oh, Rowling. Yeah, yeah uh, J.K. Rowling, Rowling doesn't seem like a World Economic Forum type and no. doesn't like them at all, she says. But then, you know, these guys like their Hegelian dialect they like to 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 like pull have the opposites on both on the same side so like victor orban mm. um is one of the young global leaders of the past and uh also a, a, a marshall fund uh memorial fellow uh, or whatever it's called from the german marshall fund so another one of the young global leader style pro uh, programs and yet they they say he's all of all of the people in charge of the world economic forum and at the top say he's a terrible leader who's basically a dictator and all of this and they all take that line and it feels like they hmm. they stick them up and they create them to be the opposite force to them so at the same time they're a machine creating not just one face it's not just one type of person they're creating both sides so they're saying um the, the choice but yeah two sides of the same coin and you end up with the coin yeah and then and then you've got you've got yeah two people who look very similar and one of them will always be saying no I'm not connected with that organization even though they put my face on there and I turned up to a few of their meetings and you know it, it happens quite well, a lot that he's, they, they he's, do that. he's threatened to sue them 
Good. Well, it would be, I, I suppose, if if you had gone and you had agreed and all of that, it would probably, if it was just on words over the phone or something, it, it could probably be argued that there's no evidence that they, he gave their permission. Um, but no, let's see so. if he actually takes them to court because yeah. it's really easy to say that stuff because it puts the other people on the, the back foot where they've got to produce some sort of evidence but you can't really produce like documents without being called like uh breaking people's privacy and all of that sort of stuff and that's like they they play with each other on these things to stop each other having proper conversations but i think they they create both sides i i i think the world economic forum is a cia funded and created and cfr funded and created project uh to basically uh head towards globalism the globalism that kissinger saw and for that you need mm. to be in charge of all sides so I, I explain to people a good way to explain it is in my own country in britain uh when i was young um my first voting you would either be able to vote for tony blair or william haig and um, both of them were young global leaders and then david cameron was young global leader and uh, Tony Blair's uh, next one who took over Brown was a young global leader um, and then you know it just keeps going on Boris Johnson young global leader uh, now, uh, a guy now Richard how Sunak. many young global leaders are there I mean is this the kind of thing where it's like uh, four, oh this person won a blue ribbon four to five thousand for for uh, something along those year? lines yeah 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 no 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 they, 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 it's 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 pumping up now but you basically this is a long game you know but it's not just world economic forum there's also other leadership like i talked about the german marshall fund has five different leadership courses that young leaders go through and they're people who are sprinkled in the congress and the senate <laughs> If every young global, if every leader came from the one course, of course, it would be like a, a, a outrage. So they've made uh, a thousand, 10,000, 100,000 organizations that can all produce these leaders from separate areas like Rhodes Scholars who then go to Oxford for a year afterwards and get to know the mm. deep state, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and start doing really suspicious <laughs> sure. things and walking like zombies afterwards. You know, these guys, they've all got these loads of different networks. So we're seeing uh, the one at the moment. We can see the filter on. If we could, if we could then learn who the others are and start incorporating that into our view, eventually we'll see that the majority of people in power get there because they go through some form of organisation which uh, tells them that they can give them power and could potentially deliver sure. that. And they are like trustworthy people. So who's the who's the guy then? Are you a Trump? Are you a Trump man? Well, me, I, I if yeah. I was in it, yeah, yeah. The American, hey, I, I, I listen, I, I don't want to cause anybody too much pain on this, but if President Mymax no, no, wanted my vote, then he can, he can go and jump, man. Yeah. President Mymax is out the door now. <laughs> he might have got it before as a, as a vote, but when he was like going, Who's Mymax? I was just like, Oh man, you have just destroyed yourself. And I don't know, I, I you know, it's impossible because I hate everybody from that sort of uh sphere. Uh, all, all of it is just so rotten. It's so uh, the American political system hurts. I, I the, agree. Every it, it taste. has me wondering, as, as someone whose family's been here since you know a long, long time, you know, hun hundreds of years. You know, uh, I, I just wonder what we do to take it back if that's what needs to be done. You know, violence is not really the way to go in 2023 and in the age of advanced arms. It's like there's a process in place for the government to be by the people. How do we exercise that? 
Yeah, well, ain't that the way? I think it's got to be breaking down to some form of localism and then individual um, ability to uh, have uh, some sort of sway over your community. So everything becomes some sort of uh, natural, uh, homogenous sort of group of humans that works. You build in, it from the bottom back up. Yeah, yeah, but as well as that, like in something like that, where we get much more local and start stop doing with our vision every day through mobile phones and computers are all global international stuff all the time being shoved into our face and we're losing our cultural yeah, identities true. and as we go back into that you if if we uh are able to to like work on a local level i think you'll see different culture uh spring up in different places but then there's a risk that if we all go and only work on a local level and on the top levels they rule us all anyway in some way shape or form but mm -hmm. they, they, their world is is uh diverting off now with cbds and other things that you have to get involved with at some point if you want to live in their world and so there has if to you be want to live in the, sure, the electronic exchange yeah yeah and, and who, I mean, who I wants to live Bitcoin in that? is perhaps the future right uh, i i don't own any but <laughs> i i feel really sad about it all because like i i, I don't I, I mean i talk to a lot of bitcoiners um and they mm. all are really optimistic super optimistic and i like their optimism and all of that um mm. but there's yeah. going to be casualties at cbdc's it's going to be when they're trying to put, bring that in there's going to be big casualties and they've made it clear they're taking down the exchanges that means no one will be able to actually take yeah, out their money exactly. and put in the bank to... that just that just like changes the game straight away yeah. and so we really mm, got to think mm. about that stuff because that, that i mean the cbdc stuff you you ask people and this is a really hard thing uh, for, even for me as well you ask people what are you going to do when you can't buy petrol because they're asking for CBDCs? Or what are you going to do when mm. you can't send your kids to school? You f you discover that people, like most people who haven't thought about it properly, get very emotional about it because the fear mm -hmm. that uh, of, mm. of their life being taken away becomes the... Oh, so it's also shocking. It's like shock horror. Changing the systems like this is going to be massive for everybody. Yeah. I think it's going to just destroy minds. But that's, that's assuming that everyone in the supply chain of these things has no incentive to uh, also be a human and to perhaps live by a precious metal or something similar. That's why they um, they uh, used things like the World Economic Forum to make everybody toe the line, to make all of mm. those people toe the line. So all of those people down the supply chain are slowly get offered some some sort of like uh idea that they're inside a club and some sort of oh I, I got a lovely feeling i'm part of it all and i'm making change and i'm doing all of these good things and a lot of the things they have to create of course we all know are fake in some way or at least um erroneous how they're described to us everything from the green movement uh onwards can be questioned like uh so mm. everything they do tastes funny and you know it's not the way isn't you know it's not the future yeah. All right. Thanks, Colin. Sure. Well, to put a rose-colored oh. tint on it, uh, you know, before I jump off the phone, I I'll say that it could be an encouraging sign that all of the people that are actually involved in the real supply chains are downstream and unaffected by some of the shenanigans that these people think that they have control over. Yeah. 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 I, I love you the, I mean? the people, people who people who do the work um, are not yeah. necessarily controllable.
and they're going to be your neighbors, man. And they're going to be the people who you're going to talk to. They are say, my okay, neighbors, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, All right, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So how, I got, I got a lot of you. All right, guys. Man. Have a great night. You too. Yeah, bye. All right, Johnny, we got another caller. I just want to get as many cool, as we can. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Uh, hello. Hello. Hello, Dan. Hey, who am I speaking with? One second. This, All right. This yeah, is on. Monty out of Idaho. I, I called when Flat Dave was on. Okay. Hey, you're doing an awesome job, Danny. Thanks, Monty. You're doing appreciate an awesome it, job. What a wonderful show. Thank hey, you, man. Um, so you're on with Johnny. Have you have you heard about King Kill Thirty Three? It's a book by James Shelby Downard. What's it called again? Sorry, King Kill Thirty Three. No, 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 no. A I book by like T E A M. James Shelby. No, King K I N G K I L L Thirty Three. King Kill. King Kill Thirty Three. Yeah, King Kill. It's by James Shelby Downard, and it has to do with the Masonics and how they off JFK and that kind of bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> I was just wondering. No, I wouldn't. I, I got to show. What's that? Rocking, man. It, uh, I, I just got the book, and so I'm on, like, page eight, dude. So I just wondered if you'd already seen it. No, 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 not yet, but, but I'm pretty positive I'm going to end up Digging away in there. Thanks for the suggestion because I'm I'm well into that. Sounds good. All right, thanks, caller. Awesome, dude. Have a good day, guys. Uh, all right, we got another caller here. One second. All right, thanks, caller. Hello. Oh, hello. Hey, what's up, man? Oh my god. You just god. turn down your uh, um, speakers. Mute, mute. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Hello? All right, you're you're yeah. Hey, what's up? You are on with Johnny. Who am I speaking with? Oh my god. Um. Uh, I just have uh, one question. Um, that uh, Cash App CEO that was stabbed recently. Yeah. Um, I wonder if if uh, they you found the guy any... who they found the guy uh, who stabbed him. Yeah. 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 No. No. Um, I'm I'm curious if you think that has anything to do with the uh, Fed now app that they're trying to push. Sorry, I'm like. Yeah. yeah no, I'm right. not. Um... I, I... I'm know. not sure about this. I don't know. What, what, uh, what's, the guy what's who was on? like the CEO of Cash App, which is like this payment transfer app or whatever, was mm-hmm. stabbed in San Francisco by essentially what they're saying now, because everybody was chalking it up to like San Francisco's gone to shit, but it was like a disgruntled like former colleague. Some oh, other, wow. Some uh, other tech guy. Yeah, I think he was another He was another uh, startup CEO. Yeah, something like they knew each other. Money will bring you down. Cash will bring you down, (laughs) they say. Well, it does eventually if you go digital. People get angry, very angry at digital money, you know. Yeah, apparently this guy was like, he had all this, um, I don't know what these had to do, but they were saying he he had um, all these classic qualifications that were fake, like he had made up all these things that he said he did. Mm, I'm not surprised we saw the... Yeah, we saw with the Sam Bankman Freed stuff that these oh, guys yeah. have got like intelligence collections galore. If you're yeah. if you're allowed to the top of a big company that is, tra- I, I mean, these guys, can you imagine how much money they put is going through their systems? How much money they're making? It's just free money as well. By the time they they set up the algorithms and they've got this small team working on it, it just it's rolling and rolling and rolling, so they can sell off bits to here and there these guys are rolling in it they oh, got yeah. so much money there and that's the first people that the intelligence agencies go to infiltrate 
because it's like you've I mean, got I, money, yeah. you've got power. Right. Yeah. I'm curious mm-hmm. what, how that Sam Bankman Free thing will shake out. Um, any question? Sure. Any other question, caller? Uh, no, no. Uh, that was all. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah. All right. We got, uh, we got another Sam Bankman Freed is doomed. Sam Bankman Freed so? is doomed. Like, yeah, think, yeah. Even, I, I, even I, with I, all the connections that he has, he's not going to yeah, get some sort yeah. of, uh, like, I, I totally think, the, like, from the what clock I hear, is ticking. Sorry. Yeah. The it, clock is ticking. His time's done. Okay, I think yeah. his time's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, we got a little more time left. If anybody wants to call in, we can call in. So, uh, I think before we, uh, some calls came in, we were talking about, uh like like where do you go with this like where, yeah, where yeah, yeah. yeah 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 well i i i started like i i've i kind of like duck in and out of different areas of interest so like when people tell me stuff like this i i like to go here and i like to go there but i can't focus in on just one thing at any one time because otherwise i get really like like it, it just gets boring so i have like five or six different things going at any one time and once i go through about two of them i start to have questions that are like go off loads yeah. of different angles and some of them end up like you know i i got asked to uh research a, a, a a, a line in uh, Whitney Webb's book, um, uh, one of the, the, the books, and it was just looking at the um, Cray brothers and the ownership of Esmeralda's barn. And it ended up with me writing a series that I'm like five articles deep into now that really what I do is I look for the information about a subject that no one else has found or tidbits that kind of give you a better grasp of who the characters were and why they were motivated to do what they do. Um, and there's loads of, of, of places in history where you can go and find a story that people have told in 20 different ways all over the place. And you can just put the actual story together and give people a fact at the moment I'm I've, I've written like part one of uh, the murder of Stanley Setti which is like it's a two-part murder about a guy who, who gets chopped up by a, a, a selection of very sharp knives, uh, put into three parcels, and two of them are dumped out of a plane, a light aircraft, over the Thames near London and wash up on the marsh marsh embankment. And it's an extremely amazing story. And Where once you this? learn... Uh, this was 1949, and it was a guy called Stanley Setti who who died. And the guy who who killed him was um, Brian Donald Hume, and he is crazy as hell. He's mad, and he can convince everybody of everything. Uh, he gets away with literal murder, and he gets a lesser charge. And once he gets off, he admits that he killed him to everybody on the what? front page of one of the most popular newspapers he confesses to the murder he got away <laughs> after with after he court. had got away with and, it yeah and they can't do anything about it but then he goes on the run and there's atomic espionage in there and there's like the serial wow. killers from the Rillington place murders <laughs> are in there and they come up and this you know these stories in history once you find them and you start going through you realize oh my god this is something people are gonna love I tell you yeah, why I go with a- this so I go to there's a uh, there's going to be a free piece um a series coming out soon that that is like every time you fill up an entire story you can see all of the gaps yeah. and so as soon as you tell you the stories to, to start filling those in essentially well not filling those in as soon as you touch the gap the whole theory falls apart uh, and then you 
he reforms and you realize that the whole story has not been told at all and i'm at a point where i'm about to I, I'm finish off what I'm calling my magnum opus is a free uh, part series that will expose um, the Epstein um, scandal in a way that no one else has, um, which will go back 70 years to do, wow. so, do so yeah. and will completely and utterly blow people away because all I do in life uh, with journalism is dragnet all of the information I could possibly find and put it in chronological order. And that works a treat because that's it. People are looking for truth. They're looking for source truth. They're looking to be able to go and check the facts. Um, and they don't want my opinion. I can give an opinion right at the end of an article, but what they want is the story as it flows and for it to have a start, mid, uh, beginning, middle, and end, and for it to make sense at the end. And if you tell any, if you put any uh, selection of uh, information together like that, you get yeah. a, a narrative that people can understand and connect to. Cool. All right, we got one more caller. Let me just uh, pass him in. Hello, caller. Hey, Danny, what's going on, brother? Hey, one second. Uh, who's Who am I speaking with? Hello. You're on the air with Johnny. Hey, Johnny. How you doing, brother? Yo, man. I'm doing good. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I'm smoking <laughs> yeah, on man. a blunt, having a cup of tea. Life's all right, man. <laughs> hey, I love that, man. Keep, keep keep on trucking, dude. Hey, Danny, what up, man? It's Chris. Hey, what's up, Chris? Yeah, man. What's going on, Chris? Um, I, I, I noticed you mentioned a bunch of people who were talking about, uh, obviously, Klaus Schwab, but there's one group um, that I haven't heard mentioned yet, and I'm curious to know, Johnny, if you looked into the uh, the Jesuit connection with Schwab. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Um, give me give me a little bit of your own theory, and then I'll, I'll be able to uh, know if I got any link okay, information. Well, uh, so one thing, what I what I focus on usually is, I mean, I do numbers and gematria and stuff, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking. I, I study a lot of um, the connections with the Jesuit order, and uh, Klaus Schwab, like many of the people who have come to power especially since 2020, from Trump to Fauci to Cuomo to Gavin Newsom, they're all Jesuit-educated. Wow. That is scary. Um, Every single one of them. Um, every <laughs> single one of them. I mean, Klaus, Klaus Schwab went to the University of Freiburg, which, of course, That's is a, one of the Jesuit schools. Um, I think his father probably and, went to the same school as well. I think, he's, I think he might have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my theory is, you know, all roads lead to Rome. And, yeah, um, you know, the Jesuits had the stronghold in Switzerland until they were banned. And then coincidentally, they're let in a year later, almost to the day that the World Economic Forum was created. Ancient infrastructure does not die. It stays intact so that when a new generation or two generations down the line have, have, have hidden away for long enough that a new form of route can be made with these connections. The infrastructure is all still there. You know, they keep their schools, they keep their businesses. Um, this is nearly right. every single order as well. You know, all of these orders are competing in secret. Sometimes they have to go dark, like in a sense intelligence in a sense these are the initial first intelligence agencies really they're, they're like these organizations that know everything they, they i mean these these orders went around 
collating all the information, hearing all of the whispers and going back and knowing exactly what's going on. So, I mean, this is like these guys, when you've got ancient orders, they will outlive what we create that's uh, seeable for sure i i i'm i'm not surprised that jesuit stuff is so uh so interesting this sick puppies. oh yeah and then it's their their, their fingerprints are, are literally on oh danny man their their fingerprints are okay, literally after, on okay. on everything i mean okay in the after show we're gonna look into the jesuits herman khan and a couple other things yes, I, gotta, yes. I gotta learn about the jesuits. and you know like i said the, yeah, like I said, the two were you know, Templars. It's all, you know, like you said, ancient orders. But yeah, definitely, uh, Johnny, look into like some of these connections. I mean, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, they definitely have uh, Jesuit fingerprints just written all over them. Yeah, yeah, willing to, willing to accept any theory. And uh, seeing as there's a, a, a Jesuit Pope on the, the, the throne who looks really. 100%, really, who comes from Argentina. Yeah. Oh, I and mean, he's right know, in the know. World Economic Forum. He's so far up and it, jobs, well, but that he's turned into a polar bear and he's melting. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, dude, it's it's a rabbit hole that you that won't disappoint because you'll just see the connections and it'll 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 take you there. <laughs> I hope you're not talking about Klaus Schwab's ass now when you say rabbit hole. <laughs> 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 but yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. I will. I will look. I will look. I promise. All right, thanks, awesome, Chris. Good, good show once again, Danny. Loving right. it. Thank you, man. I appreciate Cheers, it. Chris. Uh, we got one question from the chat here. Uh, here we go from South Coast Horizon. He says, what about the little talked about European royal families? Growing up, I always heard that there was a faction one and faction two of a new world order. Yeah, completely. Oh, God, that even links in with this story because down there in um, uh, Uberschwabia, uh, over there near the University of, of, of Freiburg, I think it's near, um, is uh, the um, school of the Schloss. It's one of the most elite schools around. And uh, Prince Philip went there and all of these other people, Eckhart von Kunzberg, who's Laura Kunzberg's uh, granddad, she was uh, head of the BBC politics uh, news stuff at one point and he was a massive like pioneer in 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 things um and they were they, they the, these people become powerful because they have their connections because they're hanging around with the royals and when i was doing um a recent series that i did the black hand series um i was looking through all of these london clubs where all of these uh, british royals were hanging out and it's mine that these these guys all of these guys who were in this little set of these swanky nightclubs in nights bridge and mayfair and all of this they were also friends with people uh who were all the european royal families and so they'd be constantly going between these places and girls would go missing women were going missing uh and I, it's really fantastically interesting that then all of their their uh the the um alibi of them still being alive that's given or the the reason they they know they're still alive is oh they're over in italy with so and so this is like, so yeah. long ago they, when you're like yeah we'll wait for a letter and they, they've been uh, they've been they've been they, uh, they've been with us and now they've gone on to them over there and they're all minor royals all over the place and they 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 basically um there's a network a really really interesting network and they are schooled in a different way um they are brought up in a different way and they have a different understanding of what our culture and civilization and our nationhood looks like um okay i want to ask you one last thing and we're going to wrap this up i appreciate again your time uh i want i want to know about the bill gates thing so that's in in uh or more about it sorry 
the Vale Gates? Because I guess you say that you found that he is a direct ancestor of the Knight of King Henry the Eighth's realm. Mm-hmm. So I guess how did you find that out? And then also, what is the the significance there? Well, I was watching the Corbett report um, as as any good person should, and I was I was learning all about. Bill Gates' um, father and his grandfather, William Gates the first, William Gates the second, and of course now we got William Gates the third, who's on the throne at the moment of the Gates family. Yeah, and they all—if you go back in history now, these guys were heavily into eugenically leaning organizations or just plain eugenics organizations. If you go back far enough, and then you—I—I I, I, I was interested to see where that led, and it didn't seem to be much about the historical line of Bill Gates. So I looked into it, and it's like Joseph Stanton Gates after William Gates the first, and then you get to—I think you instantly get to Israel Gates and. Israel Gates is from a family of about eight or nine and lives in, uh, he, he might be the, the, the grandfather of, um, of, of Joseph Stanton Gates, oh, but anyway, oh. uh, <laughs> but, but he, well, he would be the great, 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 great grandfather of Bill Gates wow. direct line and Israel Gates lived with in Rhode Island when it was uh, right at the peak of the slave trade. And it was uh, seeing 90% of all the slaves coming through Africa were going through Rhode Island and everybody who lived in Rhode Island worked in the slave trade. So he was from a big family around that time in that place. I couldn't find anything about that as of yet. But then you go back and you go back further, uh, you get these are the ancestors of Stephen Gates the first and Stephen Gates the first was the first of the Gates family to come across from Britain he brought uh, a load of, they, they were they were a drama family as well he wrote his own like book of his life and stuff so there's lots of information about Stephen Gates the first but people didn't really know Joseph Stanton Gates relationships uh, relations before Joseph Stanton Gates so I, I managed to go back through this direct line, Israel Gates, Stephen wow. Gates' ancestor, Stephen Gates the first, um, uh, Eustace Gates, who was the last <laughs> Gates to live in Britain, also a big family. Um, that was Stephen Gates the first's father. And they were in hiding at this point. And this is because wow. uh, bloody Queen Mary had chopped off a load of Gates' heads for uh, trying to do a coup uh, and and t- <laughs> wow. to just depose, I mean, it's uh, it's you can't make it up. So you go back far enough, and basically the direct line of Bill Gates, all of the fathers, all the way down, leads you to Jeffrey Gates the first, who's the first Sir Jeffrey Gates, and then Sir Jeffrey Gates the second, and then Sir Jeffrey Gates the third, and then Sir Jeffrey Gates the fourth. And these guys have gone through loads of kings. They've like King Edward does something over here, and then King Henry. Henry the eighth eventually wow and king henry the eighth uh so sir jeffrey gates the fourth was a knight of king henry the eighth's realm and his brother sir john gates is the 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 ghost that haunts beasley abbey in uh <laughs> in, in Essex Man, your history because, goes so far back there yeah because his because mary 
the first day she took over, Henry died, yeah? And these guys, these gates, are walking alongside his coffin at the procession of his funeral, yeah? So yeah. you imagine Bill Gates, someone who looks like, like Bill Gates walking ball, alongside, ball dressed, dressed <laughs> up with a halberd on and his little helmet on and stuff. And they they, 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 they go to procession. Of course, King Henry VIII's son, uh, Edward, takes over. And Edward's like like sickly little boy. He's like nine when he takes over. He's like 17 when he dies. And when he's died, they all shit themselves. Like, put Jane Seymour on the throne. Because otherwise, the Catholic, the heretic. <laughs> oh, my God. Bloody Queen Mary. She'll come to the throne. And and they tried to stick uh, one of Henry VIII's exes on the throne. And it did not work. They failed. And everybody on their first day, on the first day that she took charge, the very first day, she chopped off the heads of Sir John Gates and Sir Geoffrey Gates the fourth. Both of them got the chop and his wife as well. Um uh, <laughs> it is a brilliant it's a wow. brilliant talk where wow. like Sir John How Gates goes up just... to the gallows. God, yeah, God, I sorry. was gonna say how long did it take you to get uh um, that's like I don't know. It it depends. It depends how lucky. It I I would say I would say it's anywhere between a couple of days and a couple of months. Okay. There's some not, articles linear. take it's a long like, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. On that note, we got to wrap this up. I appreciate your time. Tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, Ooh, well, okay. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I am uh la- I have launched a new site called Newspaste at newspaste.com and I want it to be a place where people can go and reach across the border listen to the other side and it's a place for the most censored of the independent news because it's like that um it will tackle the big subjects and it will look at all of the things the podcast will look at people who are uh, struggling to have a voice but who are on the other side to me as well so uh, the, the person i spoke yesterday is a technocrat working for a technocrat who believes in people like elon musk and peter Thiel, people who i warn against and i really want to cross that border and i really want to bring people proper news from the independent realm no msn unless it's been deleted then the msn <laughs> can make it up there if they've done so there's a few fair few deleted uh epstein articles that are going up that's been deleted from the archives completely and you can't find anywhere else i want it to be a place of knowledge so come to newspace.com um and i'm also at johnnyvedmore.com and i thank you for having appreciate me. it man that and... was uh that was a fantastic episode i appreciate it very much everybody you uh can find me in the after show we're gonna start in around 10 minutes tomorrow night new episode of the bathhouse 10 30 p.m uh thank you very much uh johnny for joining me and thank you very much everybody for watching good night if you up or if you hurt I'm raising my stock, not talking my feet in some Birkin. Number Johnny Five got a fucking short circuit. Bring the track to life when I speak phenomenal. When I hit, she feel that shit at her abdominals. These rappers make me laugh like comic view, they comic view. You know I got a ball out, I hit the track running just like Sonic do. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. And they tried to down me on some KO type shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. Now we pulling up fresh on some flight shit. Ha. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. Then they tried to down me on some KO type shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. I'm pulling up fresh on some flight shit.